What's up, y'all? My name is Zach Gilbert, and welcome to 34 Jet Radio. Last episode, we discussed how past events have shaped how minority communities are policed and how they view policing. This includes things such as former slave catchers forming into our now southern police forces. Some other past events such as the Tulsa race riots and Bloody Sunday. We reviewed a brief history of the formation of the Black Panther Party and we discussed the 1992 LA riots. All this and more were discussed in our last episode. So if you didn't tune in, make sure to go check it out. But today we have a very, very special guest with us. He is a very close family friend, and I've known him my whole life. Please introduce yourself, Where you're, what's your name, where you're from, and your career. Hello family, my name is Quasi Drake. I am currently the D-line coach at Jones College. Jones College is a small JUCO school in Mississippi. Uh, of course, we play in the Mississippi JUCO League. And I spent, previous to being a football coach, I spent 16 years as a detective at a sheriff's office. I'm not going to say the name of the sheriff's office or whom the sheriff is then and currently because of legal reasons. But um, I'll be, I'm happy that you have me here and I'm excited to dis- to discuss this topic. Well, thanks for being with me and let's just hop into it. Great, so, let's do it. So as an officer, what would your day-to-day routine consist consist of? So I had a pretty good grasp of law enforcement just simply because my path was a, a lot different than most, meaning that I started off as an intern. From an intern, I went to a corrections officer. I spent one year there in corrections. Then I went to a deputy spent one year as a deputy, and the rest of my law enforcement career, I was in investigations. I worked homicides or robberies. I did undercover work, uh, dope enforcement. I was a part of some special task force with the U.S. Marshal Service. I did some governmental uh, protection. And I I, I I did a lot of different things now that I'm thinking about it because I've been out of law enforcement now for uh, four going on five years. So I I, I did a lot, but I will say the number one thing that cops think about beyond anything is being safe and going home. Mm. 
Nice take on it. So, I know you tuned into our last episode, and there we discussed some of the struggles of being a person of color just in America in general. Mm-hmm. But yes. what was it like being in a career path that has been overall looked down upon or feared by minority communities? What are some struggles or what were some positives there? Well, you know, it's it's kind of a, a, a catch-22, meaning that when I grew up, I'm originally from New Orleans, and in New Orleans, I think it's well-documented the corruption of the police force, both black and white officers. So my initial thought when I was getting into law enforcement was, let's be the positive light that everyone can see that all law enforcement is not corrupt. Now, once I got into law enforcement, and and, and when I first got in, I was naive. And I'm just going to be very honest. I was naive. And, of course, I knew race was a thing in how everybody is not treated fairly. But I went into it naive, thinking that some of the people that I worked with or for had the same mindset as me. But, you know, as you mature, as your eyes open, as experiences happen and you see things, then that's where I guess the the light is shined and you can see people for who they are. Dealing with the public, I never had any problems with anybody. I was the type of person that I always treated everyone with respect, whether if I was interviewing them, interrogating them, or if I was actually arresting them. Because and, and this is the problem, and this is the problem with any job, but it's, it's prevalent to law enforcement. Cops let that job become their identity. You see, for me, I'm Quasi Drake. It's who I've been, it's who I've always been, and I've always tried to evolve myself to be the best person that I can be. But it's not my identity as being a law enforcement officer, just like being a coach is not my my identity. So Think about it. If if everything you do is pertained to a certain career, then that's who you become. And if you are taught incorrectly, you manifest those same incorrections on a daily day basis. So nothing is getting corrected. What I'm saying is making sense to you. Yeah, it is. So you're yeah. saying that by staying within yourself and still being your own person, you're not laying the corruption in the police force shape you as your person yes because um uh, let's be honest you you talked about how the history of law enforcement and that's one thing i think this country struggles with that um activists are trying to bring out and trying to to lay on the table and, you know, it's it just a blind eye that gets looked at the, the history of this country and how it was truly formed. I mean, we have, you know, Fourth of July and we have all these great holidays that we celebrate. But the true history of this country is very nasty, vile and filthy. But <clears throat> excuse me. But we choose not to discuss those things and how law enforcement came about is very foul, nasty and filthy. And even the FBI, I mean, the FBI was was uh, uh, essentially formed to keep tabs on Dr. King. <laughs> so we have a whole uh, federal bureau and I see evolved, but that was their main 
goal was to keep taps on Dr. King. So for me, I wanted to shed a positive light, not only for myself, but for young black people to see me and to also have that connection that all cops are not bad. Everyone's not out to get me. And this is not a personal thing. This is just something that I do for a living. This is how I feed my family. This is how I'm able to live. This, that's all this is. This is a job. Was I passionate about my job? Yes. Did I do my job very well? Was it important to me? Yes. But at the end of the day, it was still a job. And I think that's the disconnect with a lot of law enforcement officers. They let the job dictate who they are as a person. So let's kind of fast forward. You've left the police force, right? Yes, correct. Yes. So seeing the movement come back alive, in a sense, now, what? how has it affect you personally as knowing what goes on deep inside the system? Well, you know, it's it's very, it's, it's troubling at times because I would get looked at funny. I would get laughed at. And I said it jokingly, but you know, behind jokes, there's always a little truth. And I'll be an officer, man, I can't stand cops. Cops make me sick. You know, of course, everybody will laugh, but I, I meant that because in, you know, dealing with some of your coworkers who are not racist. And, and to me, and this is just, I can only speak from my personal experiences. For me, the the ones who believe that since I'm not racist, racism doesn't exist and everything that I get is on my own merit. Everything you get is on your own merit. If you want to excel, you need to work harder. You need to do better. And look at me. I'm excelling because I've, I've worked harder and I've done better. And that's strictly not the case. Uh, the reason why I left law enforcement was simply because I was not being treated fairly. And the reason why I wasn't being treated fairly was solely because of the color of my skin. And there were many times when young officers would come in the investigative division and ask for help to write a report of an arrest that they made. And they quickly stopped coming to me because I had a lot of questions. Okay, well, what was your probable cause for, for pulling this car over? Um, did you do this? Did you do that? What, you know, and I'm, I'm just asking them and I'm making them explain it. But the real reason was they pulled this car over because it had four black men in it. And did they find something? Yes. But was the search lawful? No. Was the stop lawful? No. So they had all these unlawful things to find what they found. And now they need to know how to write the report. So I was one of those guys because it, it, it wasn't many people that look like me in the entire department. So I tried to make sure that the proper things were being done at all times, even if it meant going against the grain. Mm. So you talked about how you left the police force and you yes. talked about how you were being treated unfairly. What are some yes. other key events that stand out to you still to this day where you were treated unfairly? within your job well besides me I'm, I'm gonna take it a step further just the judicial system and the judging the judges so and this is something that has happened many times i've seen but most people don't get to experience this and don't see this because they're not in the courtroom i've seen first-time offenders whether it's a dui 
whether it's petty theft, whether it's um, very small possession of marijuana. I've seen minorities, black and brown people, get the book thrown at them for the smallest first offense. And our white counterparts who I, I remember to this day, it was a young white female who was attractive. She was on her fifth DUI. Now, in the state of Alabama at the time, and people don't quote me on this because I've been out of it for four years and I, I hadn't stayed up on top of my laws because I'm not in that that career anymore. But your third DUI makes it a felony. Well, she was on her fifth. And because she was attractive, blonde hair, and a white female, she had time suspended. She was ordered to go to some type of rehab. She had no points taken off her license. Her license wasn't suspended or revoked. And she had to pay no fines. She had to pay no fines. And you sit and watch a young black person who may have had a possession of marijuana, their first time offense, they're getting sent to jail. Sent to jail. And it's just not a fair system where things are are, are being presented and judged equally and fairly. There was another uh, an instance that always sticks out in my head. And this was a very simple instance, but it just shows you the magnitude of how our justice system is being ran. So there was an old black gentleman. He was traveling, headed to an adjacent state, but he was in the state of Alabama. Now, along this route, there are dump sites for dumpsters. And when you live in a rural area, you have to dump your own trash. Well, if you live in the city where there are trash pickup, you cannot dump out in the county area. So he was driving. He noticed he had some trash or what have you flying out of the, the bed of his truck. He sees the dump site. He pulls over. And it's just like a little grocery plastic bag with some papers in it. He ties it up, dumps it. Well, a deputy was there, asked him to produce ID, where he lives, where he's from, where he's headed to. He got cited for illegal dumping. Now, an illegal dump, I think the fine goes from $50 all the way to $500. Now, you know, like I said, people don't quote me on this. And I'm in court watching this transpire. The judge gave him the maximum of $500. Now, this is just an individual who is not from the state, more than likely doesn't understand the, the dumping laws. All he did was throw away a grocery bag full of papers. Nothing big, nothing major. Several people later that came up to be judged in their case was a white business owner. What type of business owner was he? He was a roofing contractor and he dumped hundreds and hundreds of pounds of trash at the dump site illegally. That's why he got cited for it. So he intentionally knew what he was doing, knew that he didn't want to pay for a, a, a bin or whatever you want to call it, a can to be brought to the site because that costs him money, he would just take it out to the county and illegally dump. So you have one who is innocent, who is naive, doesn't know what's really going on, trash, let me throw it away. One time. 
Then you have a business owner who intentionally is trying to deceive that person. Got nothing. Slap on the wrist. You know better. Don't do it again. And I'm sitting back like, I can't believe this. He didn't charge this old black gentleman $500 for something innocent that they really didn't know what to do was illegal. But the person that knew what they were doing and intentionally was trying to go around paying fees and fines, he does get caught, but the judge doesn't make him pay a dime. And that's just a simple thing that we can look at illegal dumping. But if we magnify that, if we look at the drug statutes, the, the, the sentencing statutes and how our jail is filled with black individuals and our white counterparts get arrested for the same offenses, but they're not judged as harshly. So that was very, very frustrating to witness time and time again. Well, that, yeah. Well, that kind of leads me into my next question. It kind of, what do people think about police but not really know the whole story? Or what do people just see on the little surface? Or some myths you can maybe debunk about police, positive um, and negative? Well, I, I will say most cops are good people. Most of them are. Now, there are prejudice and biases in every individual. I will say that what I've noticed in law enforcement, and remember, this is just my experiences at the, the, the place that I was employed at, that I know leadership was very bad. I had one good leader, and that was my direct supervisor. He was awesome, 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 awesome. But the very head, the very top tier, the leadership was very, very bad. So how can people be trained the proper way if they're being trained by someone who trained them improperly? And so the system just perpetuates itself with negative leaders, negative leaders, bad training, bad training, negative leaders, negative leaders, bad training, bad training. So even some people that are good, if they've been trained incorrectly and they don't have the mindset to think open-mindedly beyond the scope of what they've been taught, then that's what you're going to have. You're going to have essentially minorities getting harassed, minorities being profiled. Um, you know, if, if there are two or more than something's going on, let me pull this car over. And, and, and that's just not the case. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to say this, and I, I just really feel um, that in the big picture, okay, let me, okay, so when I went to the police academy, there was a section in there where there was a week, maybe even two weeks of physical grappling where you pretty much had to tussle somebody and they showed you hand-to-hand -hand tactics, techniques, uh, and, and things to subdue an assault or to get somebody to comply and to do all those things. Well, from what I understand now, that part of training has been taken out. So the, 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 the teaching is wherever that person is that you're dealing with, you got to go a step higher and a step higher and a step higher. Now we don't have anybody thinking and talking and being calm. If I'm dealing with somebody that's being combative and, 
and th- just I'm, I've been blessed with this as a personality. I would talk softly to him. Mr. Zach, calm down. I understand you're frustrated. Okay. I'm listening to you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Let's calm down a little bit. Let me help you. Instead of you yelling, and I've been taught, well, if you yell, I need to yell louder. If you just do this, I need to take that a step higher. I need to take that a step higher, higher, higher. And then now I'm shooting somebody. Well, the training is is bad. It's bad. There is no de-escalation of hostile situations. It's, it, it, it's, it's been taught, well, if they're hostile, you got to go above them to get control. And that's totally wrong. Mm. So you talked about the training being bad, the roots and the leaders being bad. But yes. how do you think personally having 16 years of experience, knowing all this going forward, how do you think police can improve to prevent incidents such as this? Well, the main thing is you have to make sure that every demographic is accounted for. And that was that was the main problem at the place where I was employed. There was one time and this this is not a a small um, a small entity, meaning, you know, most of your your police officers or, or police departments in America, we're talking about a five to ten man team. Like that's that's the whole police department because a lot of small towns and cities, you know, that's that's all they need. This wasn't that case. We're talking about 200, 250 plus officers. This was a decent size. And at one point, me and another gentleman were the only black officers there. How is that? So are you telling me that qualified Black individuals, whether male or female, are not being, or, or excuse me, not 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 being interviewed, but they're not even applying for the job. In the history of this particular place, they've only had two black female officers. Think about that. It's 2021 now. In the entire history of the department, only two black females. Well, if you look at adjacent departments. They have black female captains, lieutenants, uh, sergeants, head of divisions, so on and so on. So this was an instance where this was systematically done. This was done intentional. So in order to change things, if there's already a distrust of the police department, it's a natural human instinct for people to trust people that look like them. But no matter where I go, I never see anybody that looks like me. So in order for things to change, you have to hire people that look like the community, whether they're black, Hispanic, Asian, white, male, female, gay, lesbian, whatever the case may be, uh, Dominican, Cuban, uh, Jamaican, whatever that demographic is in that particular place. You have to hire people that look like the people that are going to police the community. You have to hire people from the community. Well, that didn't happen at the place I was employed at. And that made things very difficult because we know culturally people speak different. People hand gesture different. In some communities, oh, that's just the way such and such speaks. In other communities, oh, that's a threat. (laughs) <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So how can I trust somebody that doesn't look like me, that doesn't share the same experiences as me, 
that hadn't had the same struggles as me? How can I identify and think that they're going to have my best interests at hand? Then once I interact with this person, they talk to me rough, they treat me rudely, and they disrespect me. So how can I, in return, show respect to that person? So you're talking about, we've, through this episode, we've talked about the bad people, the bad training, and how people aren't treated fairly. And this is kind of an insight into my next episode, but you've heard, I know you've heard the chance defund the police, but, and how they, they should be, they're way overfunded and they should be refunded into more profitable, um, profitable industries and solutions. So do you think, do we still need police going forward? And that's not saying that one day we'll wake up without police because that's not how that will work. But you went into the police force and lots of people go into the police force trying to protect and serve. But do you think that now in 2021 there are more effective ways to protect and serve your community? Well, I do believe the police are needed. I just think that... There has to be better representation if, and, and, you know, let's just call it, you know, a spade a spade. If we're policing a black community, but the chief of police is white, the assistant police is white, the captain is white, the lieutenant is white, all the detectives are white, all the, 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 the regular patrol officers are white, there is no voice. There is no voice. So if there's no voice, there's no understanding. And I, I think that is a major, major problem. But I do think police are needed because crime is still crime. And I, I, it's funny. I had a conversation um, last week with a person talking about black on black crime. And I'm like, there is no such thing as black on black crime. It's just crime. There's white on white crime. There's Mexican on Mexican crime. There's Jamaican on Jamaican crime. It's just crime. But if you look at the history and what this, what America has done to criminalize the black person, it's all you see on the media is black on black crime, so to speak. And that's what they preach and that's what they tell us. So it's been presented and, and, and you know, cops are also watching this. It's been presented and given off that blacks are violent. So anytime a white officer has an interaction with a black person because of the news, because of the media, because of everything that's been told and presented to him, this person's violent. So now my senses are heightened already. But if we look at how America has been shifted, you, you talked about Tulsa. Well, there are lakes in Alabama that were once affluent black communities that were flooded. Right now, to this day, you can go to Lake, I want to say it's Lake Harden. Is it Lake, I want to say it's Lake Harden. You can go, and they have scuba teams that will take you down and show you where blacks used to live years and years and years ago. But they flooded it, and now it's this big lake. But most people don't realize that. I will never go fishing or hang out at Lake Harden because I, I know what really, really happened. You look at, and I know I'm going a little long, but you look at, and I'm trying to make a point to see how the system 
has intentionally been designed for us to fail. You look at, now, now Zach, you won't know this, but when I was in high school, I could go to high school, and once I graduate high school, I can graduate with a trade, whether it was in welding, HVAC, heating, um, plumbing, electrician. So what they did was, those were free programs because I'm in high school. Well, they took those programs out of the high school. They told us that education was the most important thing, which education is important, but they told us that we needed a college degree. You have to have a college degree. So now everybody has college degrees, but there aren't any jobs. And then the welders, the plumbers, now you have to go to a technical college to pay more money to get those skills. And everything that this country has done was done intentionally to keep black people, minorities from prospering. And that just follows. So if I have this economic shift and the difference, it still all goes back to the police. So, and you talked about how police were formed, how the police department came about. So if if the money is shifted, because a lot of things in this country revolve around money, if money is shifted, we give people a voice, some of those monies are now put back into the schools, put back into the cities, put back into the, um, the towns where we can give people trades. Think about it, your, your dad, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, your grandparents, I don't know if they have college degrees, but they have trades and they're very well off. They make money. They have, uh, 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 I guess, money enough for wealth for generations. But now they took all those trades away from us and told us you need a college education to be successful. So think about just taking that and correlating it to the police department. Now, you don't have to have a college degree to be a police officer, right? But if, if education is so important, why aren't we hiring people who have been educated? You see what I'm going with this? Yep. <laughs> so the, the, every demographic has to have a voice and a seat at the table for policing in America to be done fairly. Hmm. Some powerful stuff right there. I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize. I know I went on and I went on and I went on. But, you, you know, you, I, I, I am passionate about this topic because law enforcement was something that I did for 16 years and I did it very well. And, you know, doing something that you that you spent 16 years of your life. And I just like you go to you go to a show. Let's say you go to a puppet show and then you go backstage well, first of all, you were wild by what you saw. Like, man, this is an amazing show. Then you go backstage, then you see the people. And you're like, wait a minute, I thought that were, the puppets were real. Then you see the strings. Then you see all the, the things that made that production happen. And you're kind of like, huh, it's not what I thought it was. So, you know, I've, I've had a little bit of that in law enforcement. Like, oh, I was so excited. Then once I get to see backstage how dirty, nasty, and filthy it is, it's like, oh, okay. Alright. So I've very much enjoyed this this discussion we've had. And if there's is there anything you want the listeners to know that we haven't covered this episode? Well, uh from me personally, um I still have a lot of close friends that are in law enforcement. I, I don't want this to sound like I'm I'm just a police hater and a 
law enforcement hater, that's not the case. I am saying that things need to be changed to where not only minorities have a seat at the table, but beyond the seat at the table, once it goes to the judicial system, that we are judged fairly and appropriately. And, you know, that that's also a, a concern that I've seen firsthand that we're not. But I, I like I said, I have friends that are still in it. And the majority of people that you come across in law enforcement are good people. And they do mean well. Even sometimes when they do wrong, they mean well. So, man, thanks. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here with me today. And My pleasure. We had a great discussion, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Same to you, my brother. Love you. Love you, too. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in today. Next episode, we will be re- reviewing our interview today and dive deeper into the reactions of policing throughout different communities. This is Zach Gilbert signing off. Thanks for tuning in, and make sure to catch the next episode of 34 Jet Radio. Why does everybody leave? Show me what it's like to dream. Hey, go! Everybody, show me what it's like to dream.